everyone, and thank you for the download. It's Friday, March 9th, and this is episode number two of the Marty Called Podcast. I'm Tim Grassi, and today I'm joined by the Chancellor of Cheesesteaks, the God of Grinders, the Duke of Hoagies, Gary Hall. I'm an adult virgin. <laughs> What's going on? <laughs> I'm also joined by the Knight of Natty Ice, the Czar of Zima, the Sultan of Saki, Josh Fenton. Oh, hey there. <laughs> Whoa, what the hell is that? Did you hear that? There's like some yeah, feedback. <laughs> You get a little two guys in my butthole. <laughs> How many microphones do you work in there, Josh? <laughs> two. <laughs> is my is my audio not good? <laughs> it's fine now. You're, you're fine now. It's just a weird intro. Yeah, when you said "Oh hey," it was like there's you were like holding the mic in front of your marshal. <laughs> anyway, yes. Anyway, so yeah, Leopard uh, sucks. <laughs> <laughs> with the uh, uh, creation of the first Marty Called podcast, we perhaps were a little bit too ambitious with. Uh, what we wanted to do on episode two. So we're going to make um, the Carousel of Progress discussion a three-part discussion as a result of that. I was taking my sweet time um, coming up with scripts and putting together audio files, and we ultimately decided behind the scenes that we were going to have three of these. So uh, we figured that we'd give you guys the first two of them now and uh, discuss what we're going to do for the future scene. But we've had some discussions behind the scenes, some on the, uh, on the Facebook page about how we're going to treat our Carousel of Progress redo. Uh, if you remember from the last episode, we went with our mid-range solution, and the quick elevator pitch is that we combined the 1900s and 1920s scene. Uh, we keep the 1940s uh, scene the same. We created a new 1980s scene and a new future scene. So uh, I guess we're going to talk a little bit about that, but uh, I don't know if you guys had any insight before we go into uh, scene by scene of... Uh, how this process went. I'm just trying to follow along the notes here. Which subsection are we on? <laughs> <laughs> We're on subsection B, part three. I was like, going to read Tim's notes, but I read War and Peace instead because it was shorter. <laughs> <laughs> I know what, uh, what uh, uh, Eric and Chris deal with on a, well, let's see, bi-monthly I can't, I, well, I, I apologize to them both for what they have to go through. I'm in the portion of Tim's notes now that I refer to as the Old Testament, which is everything before the <laughs> 1980s scene. <laughs> so. I'm on Genesis. Yeah. <laughs> That's where everything blows up, right? Yeah, exactly, exactly. You yeah, are a biblical scholar. <laughs> didn't make it far in before shit hit the fan. <laughs> So who who comes up with these new books? It's like God like drop a new album every couple of years or what? That's uh, my other podcast called Jesus Called <laughs> Holy Land <laughs> Holy Land Imagineering. We did have a discussion before the show started whether or not we should go over the disclaimer, and we decided to pass. So that was a bold strategy. No, I think it'll be all right. The disclaimer are the curse words. If you hear them and you're offended <laughs> and you don't know to turn the thing off, then there's probably nothing we can well, say that's going to help you at that yeah, point. So, Yeah, I think, you know, just go back and listen to the first episode and hear it there. It's, it's kind of long to put in the beginning of each one. I mean, we can do it if you want, but... No, I'm good. <laughs> it, sounds, it sounds procedural. <laughs> well, so, Tim, you were asking about the process, and I, I have some comments on that. Okay. Um, so... You and I had discussed at length for months before this thing started about what it was actually going to be. And I think we both sort of underestimated how difficult that was actually going to be. And <laughs> yeah, I thought you we were going to wing this in like one show. <laughs> yeah. I learned very quickly that Tim is much more type A and ambitious than I am with regard to these <laughs> things because I was ready to phone it in after about two days and he was on revision 37 of the script by then. So. I definitely think that in order to get a, a more better, a more better, 
words are good. To get a to get a more frequent release cadence, we're going to have to scale back the uh, the ambition. So I, I have a feeling that the actual format of the show is going to evolve to some degree as we move forward. But, but nonetheless, I think I think we will at least be able to drop something tonight, which shows kind of what we're after. So let's hope that. So uh, I'm sitting so. there, barbecue sauce on my titties. <laughs> and there's your disclaimer. <laughs> and there's the evolve evolvement. This is this is Gary's contribution to the to the process. <laughs> yeah, that's all I got for show notes so far. So to to Josh's point, some of the things we we discussed and we did kind of look at it. All right, in in the 1900 scene and the 1920 scene, how much of a difference really is there? Like, what can we what can we find as a defining point? Is it just convenient that we have a 20 year gap between those, and that's what they used at the beginning of um, the original Carousel of Progress, or is there actually a defined period of time? that we can identify advancements in technology. And I think we kind of looked at it as pre and post electricity. I think that was pretty much the, uh, the, the yeah. primary thing there, right? Yep. So in, in the new 1910 scene that we're doing, which is very much a combination of, of the first two scenes of the current attraction, we looked at like, all right, this is where uh, the country was, where part of the house is um, has electricity, and part of the country is kind of going into that going into that new technology and we took parts of the 1900 scene and parts of the 1920 scene and the new audio that we recorded was uh the dioramas from the 1900 scene but like the main kitchen set of the 1920 scene is essentially what we framed it out as is so indoor plumbing in the scene uh no well i guess there, i guess there would be yeah because it's the 1920 scene yeah um so the, basically what I wrote out for the 1910 scene is like the setting the stage of it is it would look exactly the same kitchen as like the 1920 scene where you'd have like the wires going around it maybe a little bit uh, changed because that's about 15 years later than than this but uh, for the most part the dialogue is going to be the same and the dioramas are going to be the 1900s dioramas. I certainly don't think that the typical guest I mean, if you're a historian, then maybe you would uh, pick up on that slight discrepancy. But like we yeah. discussed, like yeah. we're kind of shooting for a swath of time historically as opposed and, to a specific year. Right, so right. I base my history on Carousel Progress anyway, so I could be totally <laughs> Now, Whatever the, it says is correct. <laughs> what's the backdrop behind the diorama? You make a new one or you just use the one from the 20 scene where everything's kind of more built up and electricity is used outside? I just I just went the Valentine's Day scene. Uh, I've got I've got Robin's. Uh, as the uh, kickoff of the, of the scene, but um, something that I did do for the quote-unquote research here was I looked up where the tall, uh, tallest skyscrapers were, uh, how many automobiles were in there, how long it would take to go from uh, New York to Los Angeles, that type of thing, in order to kind of use the same points of reference, but adapt them forward, you know, a decade, basically. Yeah. So... Uh, the the language of that scene, the, the dialogue there, there's going to be a lot of very similar things that you're going to hear between the 1900s and 1920 scene. So what we did is uh, we called out to our listeners. So we have uh, listener Brian Fisher working with Gene Shepard. The two of them uh, got in a recording booth together. So there's some Gene Shepard audio, some Brian Fisher audio. Uh, Gene Shepard was the original voice of the father. Uh, we have Kristen Sodakin. Am I pronouncing that correctly, guys? Sodakin. I pronounce it Sodakun, but I'm not oh. sure. <clears throat> okay. Sodakin. Well, Kristen, you can yell at us later. We did get uh, uh, Debbie Derryberry, uh, the original voice of Patricia, to come back and re-record the exact same lines uh, with the same static audio. 
What's she uh, doing these days? Uh, probably six feet under. I have no idea though. Um, <laughs> we have uh, we have William Moore as the uh, as the uh, son uh, Jimmy, and uh, the narrator is the uh, this is the great Tim Grassy uh, doing the narration here. If you don't know Will Moore and you have a college age daughter, uh, she's probably <laughs> slept with him. There's probably some of his DNA on her by this point. <laughs> If you're wondering what that thud was, I just knocked over about seven books off my desk. Excellent. Uh, <laughs> books seven books in figure quotes. That, that's actually his notes for episode three. <laughs> yes. Also known as episode three's show notes. <laughs> so uh, anyway, um, Gary, do you want to just play uh, the 1910 scene? And I think we, we discussed this beforehand, but uh, presumably uh, uh, we may talk over this as it's going on. So we'll put a clean version at the end of the episode. So if you are so inclined... Yeah, I don't think, Josh, speak. you haven't heard this right yet. No, nope, I'm, but... I'm having my cherry popped as we speak. <laughs> All right. Yeah, it looks like the Robins are getting ready to celebrate Valentine's Day today. We've come a long way, though, since the turn of the century just a decade or so ago. Believe me, things couldn't be any better than they are today. Yes, sir, buildings are towering now higher than 20 stories. And Edison Studios puts out moving pictures up on a big screen. You know, we have almost half a million automobiles in this country, and we can travel by train from New York to California in less than five days. And speaking of Edison, our house is starting to fill up with new electrical servants. Mr. Edison sure added life to our home. Drat! That's the third one this week. I buy fuses by the case. Uh-oh. I've blown the whole neighborhood again. He did it again! Go over and give that neighbor of ours what for! Still funny. Easy, Rover. Jimmy, hurry up with those fuses. Shucks. Every time he has company, he blows a fuse. And guess who always has to change it? I heard that, young man. I heard that. The lights come back on. Sarah and the young girl appear behind left scrim. Every time you do that, I'm glad I still have the gas lamp in the laundry room. We'll update that soon enough. But we do have this new wash day marvel. Now it takes me only five hours to do the wash. Imagine, it used to take two days. Oh, that's right, folks. Now Sarah has time for other things like... Like canning and cleaning the oven. Yes, dear. Well, ovens just don't clean themselves, you know, dear. I know, dear. (laughs) And they probably never will. Now, if you'll excuse me, I've got to get the laundry off the line before it starts raining cats and dogs. (laughs) Oh, don't worry, Rover. She didn't mean real dogs. Besides, it's not going to rain today. My lumbago isn't acting up. (laughs) I hate to say I told you so. Look at it come down. All you have to do is put your wash on the line, right? Oh, well. The cistern was low anyway. (laughs) Yep, Jimmy (laughs) appears behind right scrim, looking at stereoscope. Wow, Lee, look at that! Now, James, I thought I told you to ask my permission before using my new stereoscope. That's not a toy, you know. Ooh la la! So that's little Egypt doing the hoochie-coochie. Hey, Dad? 
Isn't she a knockout? She's the star of the new... Uh, <coughs> uh, Jimmy, why don't you put that away and help your mother and the neighbor girl house with the laundry? Aw, oh, Dad! You heard me. Blackout on right diorama. Well, we have one of those new talking machines, too. Now, that is something. It plays music right here in our home. Lights up on left diorama, where Grandma sits listening to phonograph with her parrot. There's a great big beautiful tomorrow. She keeps that thing going all day long. Progress. Lights out on left diorama as they come up on right diorama, where Patricia is sitting half-dressed. Oh, Papa? Yes, Patricia? Papa? All these people! I'm... I'm indecent! (laughs) Don't worry, Patricia. They're friends. That's our teenage daughter. She's getting ready to go to a Valentine's dance across town on one of those new horseless trolleys. I think it's very romantic you're taking Mother out for Valentine's dinner this evening. Well, you know what kind of sport I am. I only hope I have an evening as romantic. Now, you be home by 9 o'clock, daughter. You hear me? Lights out on left diorama. Well, with all this talking, I've worked up quite a thirst. I think I'll take one of those newfangled trolleys down to the drugstore soda fountain and meet the boys for a cold sarsaparilla. Oh, (laughs) I forgot. We're drinking root beer now. Same kind of thing, just different name. Well, that's progress for you. And uh, speaking of progress. There's a great big beautiful tomorrow. You can probably tell us that. Tell me about this Alice character. So, so hang on, don't, 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 spoiler alert. (laughs) (laughs) So, uh, we discussed this on the first episode, but the first scene currently has, uh, Sarah and a random girl doing the laundry. So I figured I'd give her a name and whether we use this in the final scene, if there's a payoff at all, uh, who knows, but I figured that I'd at least introduce the character. Um, so my my thought was having a character uh, that Jimmy could be teased about as a as a girlfriend or a you know somebody that he could be teased about as a possible girlfriend. And when I wrote a, a treatment for the '80s scene, I did have one where Jimmy was teased about her as well, but that didn't make it to the final cut. No, I think that's a solid plan because I mean, if you actually think about the characters that are in this, it's they're all just sort of archetypes of lights out people. on left diorama. So it makes sense to have a childhood crush or something. Exactly, exactly. And Patricia has a, a couple of different times in it, you know, talking about going out on a date and things like that, so why can't Jimmy get some too? And uh, as we discussed um, <laughs> about uh, the voice of Jimmy, who, I don't know, w- William kind of made himself sound about seven years old, so he did a pretty good job well, with that. sounds like early. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I'll tell you, tell that young pan. <laughs> um, and towards the end of that, where I, where I mixed in... Uh, the Gene Shepherd audio. It was really just because I couldn't get a clean audio track of just yeah, Patricia. Was tough. I, I mean, I have a lot of Carousel Progress audio. I, I I don't think that I have any source audio. The voices are just yeah. Now the, the transition music. I have all source audio of that, which makes me think the transition music going into the '80s scene. Like mm-hmm. so we gotta use. Oh, well, you could use like uh, "Change the World" by Michael Jackson. So i if we had somebody do like some fucking synthesizer retro stuff. <laughs> yeah, we need somebody to actually totally re-record it. And I just reused, I think I used the 40 scene at the end of the 80 scene um, just because I wanted to put something there. And the one that if, they use at the end of the future scene now isn't great. 
for a transition. So now I had a yeah. little. Re- Go ahead, John. You need, some, you need some synthesizer action on that song, or I had, you're, you're not even trying. Right. If, so uh, I did a rewrite of one of the scenes here um, and recorded. I don't know if you guys have heard this yet. I'm just going to play. <laughs> Lights out on left diorama as they come up on right diorama where Patricia is sitting half dressed. <laughs> Yes, Patricia. Papa, all these people. I'm, I'm indecent. <laughs> Don't worry, Patricia. They're friends. I think you gotta know where it goes from there. <laughs> <laughs> so the uh, the concept art of that scene, I, I sent it in our uh, uh, private chat. She basically looks like she's dressed up like a whore. Like she, she's she's looking like she's dressed up like a prostitute. If you're wearing that like, today, I mean, is yeah. it the corset that does it for you? I mean, you never well, had your wife dress up as, um, what's her name? From the, I'm, uh... <laughs> I'm pretty sure the measurements of this, uh, uh, <laughs> illustration, she's probably about, I don't know, 38, 18, 38 again. So it's, uh, it's realistic proportions. What's the style back then? <laughs> As long as she's over eighteen. <laughs> well, no, you didn't have to be that then. I don't think it was part of the deal. But think, look at—I mean, you bring up an actually reasonable point. Look at what Halloween costumes are today. Like, if you have a high school or college age girl, that—I mean, all of the costumes are like—you know—it's—you can't just be a witch or a you're ghost. Like, you're not a slutty flabby, witch or a, yeah. Oh, I'm a slutty scarecrow. Like, awesome. <laughs> We're gonna be changing the name of the podcast to Back in My Day. <laughs> I thought you were going to say Slutty Scarecrow. <laughs> I'm down for that. We can put one in the background on the window for the Halloween scene. There you go. There Showing a little flap at the bottom. <laughs> uh, you know what? I couldn't help but think of uh, Michael J. Fox when um, Will says ooh la la. Yeah, ooh la la. <laughs> ooh la la. I think I, I, think I actually have the Could have been what he was going for. Ooh la la. Ooh la la. Ooh la la. <laughs> Should have used that instead of Will's audio for just that part. <laughs> well, you know what? In the final cut, maybe we can. I mean, it's just part of the imagineering of it. Because that's the first thing I thought of when he said, ooh la la. I'm like, yeah. And he uses a lot of Back to the Future memes and GIFs and stuff like that, too. So yeah, yeah. I want to say that he based his ooh la la on McFly's ooh la la. <laughs> that's where I think he got the inspiration. One of the things we talked about, we kind of skipped over it. Uh, Gary had the idea last episode of going from black and white to uh, to color and how to really pull that off. Um, I think that really just with using different lighting gels, you're not necessarily going to get that effect really exactly how you want it. But um, we discussed that that introduction scene should actually have an animatronic in it. So kind of do it like the uh, the single Abraham Lincoln animatronic in Hall of Presidents, where the uh, curtain lifts up and you just see John sitting in a chair introducing the attraction. And we can kind of go from that where he's uh, lit with like a brown sepia tone uh, lighting gel and then switch to a, to a blue one. And that would accomplish that effect. Um, so I thought that was kind of a cool idea that you had. Imagine if they did that on Tower of Terror also. If you can oh make yeah, that, absolutely. Make the whole thing black and white. I mean, granted, most guests don't even realize that it's related to the show Tower or Twilight Zone. Um, to even realize if it was in black and light, white, they probably wouldn't understand why. But like, because all all the remake colored versions of Twilight Zone in color, they just don't work. It's just not creepy enough. But when you throw it in black and white, it just gives it that 
way more vintage feel. So yeah, I think it would work. Um, lighting, I guess you could do it that way. Well, hold on. What about Mickey's Runaway Train? Like, isn't that going to be black and white into color or something like that? Like, There's going to be components of it that way, but I, I also don't think the animatronics in that attraction are going to be anywhere near as I'm complex f- as the ones in uh, Carousel of Progress. Yeah, I feel like the ones in the beginning are just kind of be going to be like cut cutouts on like a pole on like a track or something like that for some reason. I think there's gonna be, it's going to be stuff like that. I don't think it's going to be super complex. There might be a couple that are maybe like Splash Mountain level, but for the most part, it's going to be pretty primitive animatronics there, and a lot of the uh, uh, visuals will be projection on that attraction, which doesn't necessarily mean a bad thing, but um, we discussed on E-Ticket Report that... What's that? It's another podcast <laughs> that we do once every three years, but... Um, I was that with that fucking Derek Bergen guy? <laughs> yes. Um, they record every time Wakefield's apartment needs to be vacuumed. <laughs> yeah. he, he moved in lieu of vacuuming, so it worked out. That's why we haven't. That's why we haven't recorded in three months. Um, but the uh, uh, the way that I think uh, Disney has kind of fallen in love with that projection mapping. Um, it's entirely possible that the public is sick of it by the time the Mickey and Minnie ride opens up. And if that's the case, then unless this is wowing us in another way, it could really bite them in the butt. But I suspect that there's enough other things going on with it that'll make it I find that technology to be the opposite of charming. Not to mention, it's just, it's, it's almost bizarre. It's that uncanny valley sort of, it's realistic, but not realistic enough. Not to mention the fact that you know that old joke, and Tim, you probably know who said it, because usually when I say it's an old adage, you're like, no, actually, that was a Mitch Hedberg joke from Everything that you said with a month. <laughs> but the old joke that, like, when a st- when a escalator breaks, it turns it reverts to being a stairway. That was a like, Mitch Hedberg joke. God damn it. <laughs> <laughs> I think you just say that for everything. <laughs> it is, though. That sounds like Richard Pryor to me. One time I, I told Tim that an old guy that used to work at the patent office said that everything that could be invented had already been invented, and he told me that was Mitch Hedberg, too. So I'm thinking he's full of shit. <laughs> Ask not what you could do for your country, <laughs> Mitch Hedberg. <laughs> In any event, you know... Four score if, and seven if, years ago, Mitch Hedberg. If, <laughs> if, those, <laughs> if those projectors go down, then that whole ride is 101. Um or they have to block off a significant portion of it like they do with Buzz Lightyear, because that thing, there's like a permanent black curtain in front of that thing, it seems, based on my visits. Oh, yeah, but yeah, anyway, so, I digress. I forgot a job. I mean, Derek! Spreckens the dick! <laughs> it's the, uh, the same thing, though, with the complicated animatronic, too. I mean, in some cases, you ride a roller coaster past it, but in other cases, you got to find a solution to it. So, like, if the auctioneer goes down, um, they close the ride. Uh, with um, the, the 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 Shaman of Songs and Navi River oh, Journey, they put a screen up above it. So it's a good thing um, we don't have to worry about that anymore. Am I right? Yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> what about like so the Mummy at Universal? If the animatronics broke on that, like, would you really shut their eye down for that? I mean, it just kind of like, jiggles. The Universal um, uh, Mummy, uh, what is it? The Mummy Returns? Is that what it's called? Revenge of the Mummy? Yeah, I think that's it. Um, yeah, that's anyway. just like a department store mannequin with a Hitachi wand taped to its leg. <laughs> what settings is it on? Like, high with the, the build-up vibration? <laughs> is it set on God, oh my God, or oh my fucking God? 
There is uh, one good uh, animatronic that pops out there, but then there's a lot of other things that would just pop up, and those, uh, it's about 50-50 whether those are going to work. Um, <laughs> yeah, the mummy that comes out of the coffin and has, like, the little universal head on, I think he has some pretty good arm movements, but, like, all the yeah. other ones just pretty much jiggle. So, But if that mummy came out of that ca- casket and just, like, sat there, because uh, his mouth doesn't move or anything, right? <laughs> like, it wouldn't be enough to take their eye down. I'd be kind of bent if they did, just because, I mean, it doesn't really add that much to it. Anyway, yeah. how do you got Universal? <laughs> you brought it up. So anyway, with the kind of shift to, uh, uh, you know, a black and white or a sepia, older looking look to uh, to a more vibrant uh, in color look, uh, we just suggested lighting. Um, but if anybody is listening that has a better idea of how to do it, uh, I don't think projection mapping on animatronics that are this complex is really realistic, but uh, if anybody has another suggestion, by all means, let us know. Uh, the, uh, well, the... I, I have a thought on that. Okay. Um, if you did the set in monochrome and did projection map, you could projection map color onto most of the set and leave the humans color the whole time and show the world around them moving from black and white into color. You know, because, honestly, a black and white person Racist. might be a little... <laughs> 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 that might be more bizarre because what we're really talking about is the world changing around these people and how it influences their lives so i think it's an idea i mean started seeing in color i'm not a light (laughs) i'm not a lighting engineer but it it seems like it's there there's possibly a way to implement that in a way that would that would produce that effect yeah yeah i think overall though it's a good idea but like you're supposed to be back in that time and seeing it so it's not like you're really watching like uh TV. It's uh, kind of why I like doing it as like an introduction. So instead of just staring at a sign, you've got another animatronic where John is giving you that introduction and then he's the thing that changes from black and white to color. Yeah. So it's not a full scene, mind you, but um, you still get the effect on a smaller scale at least. Maybe that's easier to do where you're you know, doing the projection mapping if that's the way to do it on a single animatronic or, or as Josh says, you know, or you like do a, a American Adventure or Hall of Presidents maneuver where you put a curtain in front of it and project a black and white mm. scene and then pull it away and have the identical color scene behind yeah, it. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, you can have. Well, how about how about this? Um, the the Shanghai Pirates has like uh, the Jack Sparrow skeleton into animatronic mode. Um, what if you go and have like you have a screen in black and white of him talking and then it moves into like a real life animatronic. I don't know. I mean, I'm just kind of throwing out ideas here, but uh, that uses the, uh, the Pepper's ghost effect in a new way. And maybe that's the way to do it where you have a reflection of something. I don't know. I don't know where the other uh, John animatronic that's being reflected is going to be sitting maybe in the audience, but uh, Uh, I think it's a good idea. I just, I think the execution of it would be so hard that it would add one of those elements to where if it breaks, then like, yeah, you want to want it. It's just, it's one of those things that you see in concept art, but then it never happens. But I mean, historically, one of the things that Imagineering has always been great at is making incredible looking things by using a very simple approach. It's the same with magic. Yeah, there's probably magic. a real you know, easy way to do it. There's probably an old parlor trick that, like, you know, makes stuff black and white and you just don't know where it is. Probably yeah. glasses. Or just pouring bleach in your eyes. <laughs> <laughs> now, is there... So we have the 1910 scene. Uh, I mean, that's that's going to be pretty much finished for the final show, right? Yeah, I, I, think we're, I think we're good with that. We can submit that to Imagineering and they should be fine. Uh, I'm we sure have, they'll... Ex- we have <laughs> they'll 1920s ex- ready? 
we did we didn't do 1920s. We combined uh, yeah, those Yeah, 1940s. Two. <laughs> you said it's going to be the same, so there's no need to really do that. Right. Uh, what the next decade we're going into is the uh, 1980s, right? Right. So uh, we we brought back all the same cast. Uh, <laughs> is Alice in this uh, one? Uh, Alice is not in this one. She didn't make the cut. Uh, there was. I know, seriously, she got hit. She got hit pretty hard. And let's be honest, in the 80s, it wasn't polio. Uh, <laughs> but um, I, I threw out one idea, and I think uh, collectively we kind of talked ourselves out of it, or I talked, us out, talked myself out of it, and Josh and Gary just said, sure, Tim, keep Michael going. Jordan what you're doing. <laughs> <laughs> so um, one of them had uh, Grandma and Grandpa watching Platoon, and then Grandpa falling asleep, and Grandma switches it over to watching basketball, and uh, she pantomimes a jump shot and yells Jordan. But uh, in the 40 scene, they're watching uh, uh, they're watching boxing. So uh, them watching TV this time on cable is not really that big of a, a difference between the 40 scene and the 80 scene. So I ditched that. I was thinking like Jimmy's watching Squiggly Lines in the other room or something like that. <laughs> you can do that. <laughs> you guys know what Squiggly Lines is, right? Oh, oh yeah. 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 Um, Every once in a while, it would go clear for a second. You try to like... Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Time, that time it just right. <laughs> you know, the, the, I guess the pro move would have been to record it with the VCR and then just go back and pause it. Now, I should explain to uh, my e-ticket report co-host, uh, when they're talking squiggly lines, they're not talking about, like, uh, WrestleMania, trying to watch that on squiggly lines. They're talking about porn. People used to In the event, to watch WrestleMania. Well, I, I think that was, uh, like, a pay-per-view thing, too, wasn't it? If you watch it when it's scrambled, does it become real? <laughs> Possibly. <laughs> just like the pornography so yeah, those are equally as real yeah yeah um one of the other uh, uh diorama scenes that i had in the 80s that i got rid of was uh patricia uh talking to her friend jane on the phone jane was actually the original name for the for patricia i believe in the original disney world version i don't know if that was the name in the um world's fair version but they were having a discussion about calling their cable company and saying i want my mtv so kind of a an 80s uh oh, yeah yep. uh, so i ditched that um and i did have a scene where jimmy was the one uh listening on a walkman and father teasing teasing him about alice but got rid of that as well but we kind of looked at what do we want to hit on in the 80s and uh the big things were cell phones, cable TVs, uh, cable TV, video games, computers, uh, and Walkman, Discman. Um, so trying to find out how, how, how do we integrate all those? Do we actually feature them? Do we just mention them? You know, oddly, you could use the family from the current future scene. Mm -hmm. They're already dressed like they're in the 80s. Well, yeah, exactly. And, I mean, that was made in, what, 92, 93? Yeah, so, 94, uh, I believe. So there's not a whole lot of variation there, but... We had, and we discussed it on the first show as well, like the, the various pop culture references. They're giving me crap about putting a Michael Jordan poster in, a, in Jimmy's room, um, which does translate very well to audio. But <laughs> Jimmy looks around and admires his Michael Jordan poster on his wall. Like, yeah, I mean, yeah. I just, I, if we could get some kind of artist rendering this stuff, it would definitely be in there. It's like working a Dustbuster in there. I mean, obviously there's going to be a dust, Dustbuster hanging on a hook on the wall. I mean, that's the way I've always seen it before, like the big box plug. But audio-wise, how do you work that in there? Unless it goes well, like bad shit. I, I put it just, in the narration. It's exactly what I did. Oh, okay. Just to, to do a slight sidebar, that that issue, as funny as it was, and I think at least two out of three of us had a good laugh at that, <laughs> uh, it, it actually does kind of put into perspective the kind of challenges that Imagineers face when they walk into a pitch meeting because I imagine that 
very right-brained artistic people can probably envision the scene in their heads much better than your typical left-brain accountant or lawyer oh, or typical business guy. So, well, exactly. But I mean, it's yeah, you, you know so what I, I mean. Just bring it, Michael Jordan in with you. It's probably <laughs> it's probably very difficult to for for these artists to convey their vision in such a way that the people who are making the green lighting decisions actually appreciate what it would look like when it actually got finished. So now, what's Jimmy listening to on his Walkman? Or is this all in the uh, in the, the squiggly lines? This is, all, this is all, he's listening to squiggly lines in there. This is this is all on the uh, on the audio file that we'll play. Well, that's but. the good thing about squiggly lines. The audio came through like pretty clear, so you can just crank it to that. Can you imagine if they had like binaural audio back then? You sound like you're standing in the room while you're cranking it. <laughs> and by cranking, so, I mean starting an old car. It's not too late to go back and put that, put that warning <laughs> disclaimer in, is it? I deleted it. I don't know what it is. Um, so, do we want to listen? I haven't heard the 80s scene yet. And it's not, a- not yet. I want to kind of talk about a few things for uh, first, though. Like, you, you guys talked about how you do the set dressing basically. So that kind of goes into something we talked about on, on uh, the first show where we talk about the basic story, which is that script. And then those layers of story, which uh, articulating that over audio is not exactly the easiest thing. So you get, you've got my narration on the scene to just kind of explain what's going on. But um, that's really all we can do other than, you know, have somebody that has artistic talent and draw this up. But uh, we had a quite the discussion of just like random 80s pop culture things that we could throw in there. And a lot of them were, uh, uh, were Gary just throwing out various things that we can put in a scene and how do we how do we do this? So a lot of them make that narration, but I think with the 80s scene especially, <laughs> there's a lot that would just be uh, so much better if we could get somebody that has concept art ability, that can have some sort of artistic ability and just paint it out for us. Um because there's a lot of stuff that we can kind of have going on. It's just did you leave in the scene where joke. is Orville in the, the eighty scene? He is. And now are we still going with the concept where he was cutting lines while he was in the bathtub. <laughs> no, no, he, he he's not doing coke. But uh, <laughs> everybody's got a little like like powder mark underneath their nose. That was uh, a <laughs> <laughs> um, and the scene's like twice as fast as the other ones. Cause yeah, they, they, they crank up the servos and all the animatronics, so they're just like going twice as fast. <laughs> While there's just like cleaning stuff or like running around the house. <laughs> <laughs> so a couple, things, a couple of things that I did, and uh, I was putting this audio together tonight, was I uh, with Uncle Warville. I used Mel Blanc's voice, and really, he has one line of dialogue in there. Uh, which is the no privacy. Um, I mean, they reused it, so I can't, you know. Exactly. So that, so I stole that, and I also stole um, audio from the grandmother in the final current scene, uh, uh, voiced by Janet Waldo. So I used that uh, in this scene. There's also a uh, section where Uncle Orville is on the phone, and I, uh, for the other side of the phone, I took Grandpa's dialogue from the '93 version and sped that up, so where he's listing off. Uh, the various technologies it's that but sped up significantly as the uh, as the audio there so what does the um, house look like in your mind so uh, again there there is a description in there but uh, Josh was quick to point out that we need to have the uh, the very 80s for mica countertops yep. it should be it should be salmon colored it should, I probably, said, like, you mean, actually. it should probably look like 70s or 60s though because if you think about it like in the 80s that's what a lot of people were still living in well 
But I mean, like, I you think take a take a house that's like has all those ugly seventies colors, like the ugly green and yellows, and then you put like a electric popcorn maker on the counter, and it makes it eighties. <laughs> well, uh, to me, the eighties aesthetic in theme park rides that that nailed it the best was actually the you know the successor to COP, which is Horizons. I mean, so much of the decor in that, which was intended to be way in the future, is extreme, extremely eighties looking. Yeah. Yeah. So there'd be an opportunity to to capture that aesthetic and also kind of do a throwback to that ride, I think. So one of the other things, and again, this is the visual component of it that we can't really represent over audio other than in uh, uh, the narrator's descriptions. And uh, what person is that? Is that first person when I'm referring to myself as a narrator but calling myself the narrator? Third person. Third person? Anyway. Uh, So uh, we had a discussion (laughs) about, like, all right, somebody needs to have a mullet. And... Would it make sense for like for for John to have a mullet, or I think that was kind of how Uncle Orville made his way into the scene because Uncle Orville can have a mullet, right? Like that's not that far fetched. No, I think you'd have, or because he's always like the comedic kind of guy, you can have yeah. like that big like um, like I don't know, this hairband perm. Yeah, so that's like that. pretty much how I described it. Um, <laughs> but he he's the one that would have like the totally crazy hair, I would think, or the totally eighties yeah. hair, like um, a pompadour. <laughs> yeah, we, we can kind of elaborate from what I said. Uh, in the description, I said he's uh, uh, basically got partly partly feathered, partly mullet, uh, that Please sort of thing. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you just don't um, see it anymore. So uh, we had some yeah, pop culture notes. We really didn't hit on a lot of these. Um, I got a Michael Jordan reference in, but beyond that... Um, now you said, so for the TV, the, there's not going to be actual... Um, they're not going to be watching TV. They're going to be like playing video games. Exactly. So I, I figured that, all right, in the 40s, they're watching TV. So the the technology is just like a better version of this. And I think it, I think it was Josh that said, all right, do we really want to just highlight better versions of existing things? Or do we want to see where something has kind of changed into something new? And I think that's where video games are, was a better use of what happened in the 80s than like cable television yeah i think so so why don't we why don't we crank it up and we'll see what you guys think of this because uh neither josh nor gary have heard this but uh let me give some credits to uh to people so we, again we have brian fisher as uh the father john uh christian sodakin as uh the mother sarah uh we have a uh a brief line from uh from Paige anderson or Paige dora anderson if she goes by that uh as uh patty uh, we have William Moore again as uh, as Jimmy, and then uh, the grandmother from the final scene is Janet Waldo. So we used audio from the existing track, and then Mel Blanc as Uncle Orville. And once again, I return as the narrator. Act three is set during Thanksgiving in the 1980s. The year is not outwardly stated, but references point to mid to late 80s. The kitchen set features a typical 80s kitchen with Formica countertops and pea green appliances. A dustbuster hangs from the wall. Colorful fall leaves appear on the trees outside the window. We're getting ready for Thanksgiving here in the 1980s, and things can't get any better than they are today. There's a new supersonic airliner that can get us from New York to London in only three and a half hours. Here at home, our TV gets over 50 channels, and thanks to the VCR... We can watch our favorite movies whenever we want. But that's not all. We've entered the world of video games. 
Lights come up on right diorama, which shows Grandma and Jimmy playing a video game. A large box TV shows animation from Mike Tyson's Punch-Out. Grandma has a life alert necklace around her neck. The outlet for the lamp is visible, and it's plugged into the clapper. A VHS rewinder is sitting on top of the TV, and a Nintendo is sitting next to it on top of the VCR. All right, Grandma. You want to dodge his punches and hit back when he gives you an opening. Well, I'll give it a try. The match is about to start. Get ready. Here goes nothing. Here he comes. Now dodge him. Whoa. Now hit him back. Take that, you nincompoop. Excellent. It's out on right diorama. Speaking of modern distractions, we have cellular telephones now. Of course, ours is often occupied by our perennial house guest, Uncle Orville. Lights up on left diorama. Orville is in a bathtub holding up a clunky 80s cell phone. Orville's hair is half feathered and half mullet. Uncle Orville insists on using the cellular telephone instead of the house phone. Here's hoping he's calling someone about getting a job. No privacy at all around this place. Sorry, Orville. Lights out on left diorama. Cellular phones aren't the only things we're putting up to our ears. Our daughter Patricia loves listening to her portable cassette player. (laughs) They call it a Walkman. Lights up on right side diorama. Patricia is lying on her bed wearing leg warmers. She has big 80s hair. She has a Wham poster above her head and a Chia Pet on her shelf. Patricia, what exactly are you listening to? I guess you can't hear me. Patty, what are you listening to? We are here to change the world. (laughs) Of course, this also means our children don't always listen to us. I think children ignoring their parents has gone on for decades. Lights out on right side diorama. All this new technology has certainly changed our lives, and Sarah has jumped in with both feet into the world of personal computing. Lights up on left side diorama. Sarah is sitting at an Apple II computer with a large printer next to it on the desk. She has a pile of bills and old ledger books open next to her as well. John, I'm almost done entering all of our finances into VisiCalc. Well, that's (laughs) great, Sarah. But, uh, what's VisiCalc? VisiCalc lets me take these old ledger books and put them... I can't hear you. (laughs) Sarah? Sarah? (laughs) Are we going to Chicago? And Michael Jordan. So... I'm not sure what to think. Lights out on left side diorama. I'll uh, catch up with Sarah later, but now I'm going to head over to the supermarket and pick up a bottle of Coca-Cola. Oh, that's right. We're drinking new Coke now. Well, I guess that's progress. And speaking of progress... There's a great big beautiful tomorrow Shining at the end of every... All right. I think that's pretty good. So, uh, I don't know if you caught at the end of it, um, <laughs> the, uh, the police sirens on the back of John's last line. No, no, I didn't, but in the beginning, is it, is, 
All that noise, like, is his house next to a highway? No, that was actually noise that I added on. So I was trying to get, like, something with leaves rustling, and that was the best I could do. So I wanted to have, like, a fall scene, and it was probably too loud. I live next to a highway. or an F-18 flying by. Yeah, that's like, did you get, like, interior cockpit noises or something? It sounded like the inside of a plane, but then I was as I was thinking the scene in my head, I've lived next to a highway before, and that's what it sounds like. You get that constant noise where it just sounds like air going by. What I'll do, Gary, is I'll send you a new um, MP3, and I'll have that uh, reduced a little bit so that uh, it sounds a little bit better. Yeah, go ahead and work on that. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, mean, I, I feel like Gary and I have been pulling everybody's weight in this, so <laughs> I agree to step up. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, sorry. Sorry, guys. Um, so a few good. things with that. Um, for whatever reason, and... No, this I'm not. This isn't really a criticism on on Brian, who did the voice of John, because I think his voice is is great for this. Uh, he slowed it down a little bit more in the '80s scene, so I uh, did have to speed up his uh, his voice a little bit. It was a little bit slower than what he did. Sure, but just some other. Cocaine? What's up? You sure that's not the cocaine speeding him up? Could be, could be. <laughs> <laughs> You've got to be a little bit more excited in the '80s. Got to show a little more energy, Brian. But yeah, I, uh, I especially liked uh, Paige, whose only direction was sing badly uh, over the uh, the Michael Nailed. Jackson music. Nailed it. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I don't know. I don't know what you guys thought. I, I was really pleased with how oh, it came out. The source. I thought it. I thought it came out great. Yeah. The dot cool. matrix gag is good. I mean. <laughs> <laughs> but that's really what these uh, uh, these scenes are. It's something with technology that just disrupts the scene. So maybe that's a good segue into uh, the the future scene where we we discussed what that would be. Are we still satisfied with the failing technology in the future scene being voice activation, or do you guys want to I do mean, something else? Now, now voice activation has to be it because in so many ways it screws up. Yeah. Even their latest thing with is it um, Alexa just like laughing for no reason? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Does that happen to you, Josh? I know you got Alexa. I've got two of them, but it's never happened to me. But I, I sent the, a link to my wife, and she listened to it and laughed. Because for anyone who's used any of this stuff, which is millions and millions of people now, it's it's not a hard story to believe. You know, it's, it's oh, yeah, just the stuff malfunctions. So there's a threshold above which we'll use these things and below which you would just not use it. And I feel like right now, and te- technologically, we're just barely above the point where if, literally if we were any worse – no one would even screw around with yeah. it, but it's, it's just good enough to suffer through it and have all of these comedic failures that are that haunt these things. Tell Alexa to laugh on here. Alexa, <laughs> can you laugh at me? No. Not, she can only do it when you've not asked her to. <laughs> <laughs> so, so with that, though, we're looking at this uh, in the future, and the current the current future scene, I'm not sure what tense you're supposed to use in this sentence, uh, has John activating the oven without really addressing it. But every device that we've got now, uh, be it Siri, be it Alexa, uh, be it the OK Google, uh, uh, the Google Home, needs something as a direction to address it. Uh, in the context of the scene, should we do that? Should we no, say that we would advance beyond it? Or no, no. I mean, like, so go ahead. I, th- I think that the... So right now we basically make queries of these devices and they give back a response which either acknowledges that it worked or proves that it didn't. But I think if you were a technologist right now looking at where this is going, it's the objective is for it to be more conversational. Like, for example, if I ask Siri to do something for me or Alexa, sorry for everyone who's I just set off. (laughs) um, 
and and she doesn't fully understand the query or I want to ask a follow-up question, she has no memory of the previous question. You know, there's no there's no thread at all. Yeah. So, um, but the I think that the dream here is to have a conversational thing where there's where there's context for the next question that comes from the previous question, if that's appropriate. So, the good thing for a scene like this is that it opens up a myriad of new ways that it could fail, just because you you could essentially get into an argument. Yeah, make thing. the house go nuts again, like it did right, twice. right. And I mean, people have done this. There was a video that was posted on YouTube not too long ago where someone took a Google Home and an Amazon Echo and asked a query of one and phrased it in such a way that it set the trigger word for the other. And these two things were basically going back and forth. <laughs> I mean, it, it was like, a you know, who's on first skit for, for the 21st century. So I, there's when you factor in. So I think when you look at the, you know, the evolution that we can expect in voice activation coupled with autonomous vehicles and the fact that. That You're gonna have one bust that, through the wall. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You like have cool arrived. Way. Like the uh, fucking uh, no problem. <laughs> you know, he's getting a Hummer in the back. Fucking <laughs> <laughs> like Tesla comes to the wall like the Kool Aid Man. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> but when you think about uh, voice activation expanding to things beyond just asking how many tea- teaspoons are in a uh, tablespoon. I'm it's thinking a, of Orville know. getting a blowjob in the front seat of a car and then saying no privacy at all. Around yeah, that's what I was thinking. <laughs> <laughs> and they just bust through the wall. <laughs> and you just see a little animatronic head going up and down. <laughs> or, or it slowly gets up and looks over and it's Alice from the first scene. <laughs> and her eyes all fucked up, or like her head's all screwed up because it hit steering wheel. Well, I guess there wouldn't be a steering wheel, would there? No, it's possible we're where you're derailing Josh. But it's well, I mean, I was about to wrap it up. I mean, my point is just that we're. I think that we're so close to the cusp of a pretty revolutionary breakthrough, both both in autonomous vehicles and voice activation, that no matter even if you do something that's a little that would have seemed very far fetched ten years ago, a, a contemporary audience is not going to have a hard time believing it. I don't think the typical you know high school kid would think that it's insane to be able to walk out and say, hey, car, drive me there and have it do it. I think most many people that are alive today will probably live to see that happen. So the problem with doing anything in the future is that technology dates itself pretty quickly. So uh, and we see that now with the current scene where they list off just various various technological advancements and some of them become dated just even with the with the language that they use to describe it cell phone versus well, they didn't you know, necessarily yep. reach far into the future in that scene though That's if you true. think about it they only they used current stuff so what was popular in 94 when you had a big screen you had one of those huge box rear projection big screen yeah. CRTs. Yeah. they used a current laptop that was popular at that time they used cordless phones which were popular at that time and all this stuff and it's like they didn't, those are they didn't reach into the future out. Uh, the only well, thing that was futuristic, virtual reality was popular at that time. The crappy version of it yeah. exists. They didn't shoot the, the, too far. They they were just like now. It was kind of like they just kind of did like a now's the time. Like oh, you've arrived at the present. You know, voice activation ever, was the only thing that was futuristic about that scene. Yeah, I mean, if you've ever watched Star Trek, like the Next Generation in particular, there's a very clever way that they use modern technology, which is to show very amazing looking things whether it's like a tablet device that's transparent mm-hmm. but they never actually get specific about what these things are doing you know yeah. and and nobody in there makes a big deal of them it's just sort of these things that they happen to well, encounter you know, and you know, use casually that, that definitely make a big deal out of all that stuff 
No, but I mean the producers of the show. Oh, In other okay. words, you, you know, it's never like you never see Captain Picard whip out a tablet and go, "Look at this! It's got the brand new processor in it." <laughs> it's always just like whatever this this little thing I have it's on my. Obviously, I have this on my desk. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, um, it's, it's an inconsequential item, and I think that's what we need to right. look at. Agreed. Where like what what are the inconsequential components here, and almost make the scene where we're not even showing off the technology, uh, where the the people in the scene are unaware that technology is being shown off. Yeah, that's, where, that's exactly what I'm driving at. Where I think in uh, the 93, or the, the current scene right now that they're using, they so, start talking about the technology. We yep, have and I, think, I, think, I think that that is specifically why it needles. I think that that's why it actually <laughs> fails. It's because if... Because like you said, technology dates itself. But if you and I've said this a few times, but I think in the future scene it's even more relevant than any of the others. It's about life. I mean, what you really want to do is show these people interacting with some futuristic device in such a way as to suggest that they would be totally lost without it and can't yeah. imagine a world that didn't have it. You know, just like if you were to walk up to a fifteen year old today and say, you know, can you imagine life without a mobile phone? They've never lived in that world. So yeah. That's kind of exactly what I was thinking. Where like Patty has to have her fo- have a phone in her hand, uh, and it, it might not be a you know current version of a phone, but she should have something, and be it like a transparent tablet or something to that effect. Right. Uh, she should have that in her hand, and it's not even discussed. It's just there. And as we di- as we discussed the way to kind of layer a story, you have those things, and if you're not actually even mentioning them in the narrative, you can replace them out to something that might be more appropriate. Yep. If, uh, if it needs to be replaced. And that's what they did in the current scene where they swapped out the TV, they swapped out laptop. the laptop and yeah. things like that. But you can't change the um What if we just shoot really far? And like, uh, like Back to the Future 2 style. Like we had the fruit thing that comes down and like Jimmy's place. Hydrate pizza. Like that hasn't happened. Hydrate yet. level 4, please. I mean, I use an air fryer now, but that's not really like a... Like, I can't put a little mozzarella stick in there and have it come out. It's like a full order. You know, so, like, we're not there. What if, like, Orville comes in like, one of those upside-down things hanging from the ceiling? (laughs) (laughs) Can we get one of Barbara Streisand's clone dogs? (laughs) But since Orville wouldn't come back, it's just a guy with, like, an Orville mask on. It looks like, (laughs) kind of like him. With, like, a new new version of the mullet? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Space mullet. And there's a fax machine in the closet for some reason. <laughs> and everybody's I, I, wearing two neckties. Yep, I was just going to say that. <laughs> I think that being somewhat vague about how far in the future you are is important because you, yeah. you don't. Uh, otherwise, it becomes like the Al Gore ice cap statement. It's like you know that date's going to come and you missed it, or you get close to it and it's obvious that that's not going to happen. Or technology in some like the current scene is a combination of things that never really panned out and things that in reality, turned out to be far more advanced than they imagined. You know what I mean? Like, virtual reality has been trying to be a thing for, like, the past 30 years, and it yeah. still is today. I mean, there's new products every year. Go to CES, there's virtual reality, augmented reality, and it just never really takes off as a mainstream commercial product, but it's something that probably at some point will, or maybe it'll die, who knows? But well, there's that it, virtual DisneyWorld.net website, they're doing something <laughs> You should check that out. I heard that. Yeah, we should work that yeah. into the show. Like maybe Jimmy's like wearing like a little headset. <laughs> Virtual WDW shirt. Yeah, and he's <laughs> he's got the headset out and he's like riding Space Mountain or something. I heard the guy that runs that site hangs out in front of middle schools. <laughs> I heard that also. <laughs> Jimmy, can we complain about how Space Mountain's too dark in the video? Confirmed. <laughs> yeah, it's just all black. No. The the um so so 
by making some of the techno- technological advancements not really the focus, I think we, we've talked about autonomous cars and it needs to be incorporated somehow. Do we just make it like a, a throwaway line? Like, Hey, I just like my car just drove me over here or, uh, you know, something to that effect. Like that, yeah. No, I, I, I'd love to see out the window of the diorama, a car pull up, one person get out of it and then the car drive away empty. That's, that's, how that, that's, a, that's a great way to do it. I'm, I, I agree. So like, we should we should kind of talk about what you're what you're discussing though. I think let's just say hypothetically we we can change this that the layout of the scene is going to be largely similar to what we have now, just from where things are and where people are staged. Mm-hmm. And we I mean we can we can tweak that as as need be. But uh, one of the ideas we had was large floor to ceiling windows behind the dining room and have those windows be something that can turn into video screens. And I don't know about you guys, but when I'm uh, when my parents are around and I like uh, call something up on my Apple TV and they're just dumbfounded as to how you can do that, uh, right. I think I think something as to, you mean to like our a generation or like yeah yeah like yeah. if I if I mirror my phone to it or something like that, yeah. that in itself kind of blows their mind. It could be but like a I beach. think we can go a lot bigger than that. I, it could be like a beach scene or something like that, and then when mm-hmm. the car pulls up, you hear like the honk, and then the the screen just goes like back to regular windows and you see the car pull up outside. So I think it has to start out as a regular window okay. because the scene has to build to something, right? Yeah, so, like, but then it surprises you because the whole time you've been thinking that this is some house with some background and then that background suddenly disappears. The reason why I say it should start is that gives you your, your uh, autonomous car uh, set up and the window is something you're expecting. The window turning into a TV screen is something you're not. So right. yeah. if you I'd go like... To- like I'd like to see the whole wall turn transparent. Yeah, that's that's kind of what I'm thinking. So I think uh, with this transparent wall that we're going to kind of have as a window to the outside that turns into uh, TV, we um, discussed possibly having a uh, a rocket launch where maybe they call attention to it. And that might be the thing that they use the voice activation for intentionally, where they say, hey, there's a... Uh, there's a launch going off, and you have it look like would you're be, right on the launch pad. Would be cool. I actually had an I had an idea for that actually. So my idea was a little bit different, and it stems okay. from the fact that a lot of times technology that starts out by amazing people ends up annoying them as it becomes ubiquitous. And as a former, well, I guess I'm still technically a commercial airline pilot, I had to attend a lot of noise abatement meetings where there's airports near communities and people. You know, once upon a time would dress up and be amazed at the fact that they could go fly in an airliner. And then you look at today, everyone's pissed off that they make too much noise, they fly over my house. And I could see the same thing with space travel as, as rocket launches become more and more frequent that people have people have lost the wonder about it and they just, you know, are irritated at the fact that it, it rattles their window. And then there could mm-hmm. be a joke about the fact that there isn't really a window there. I'm not sure how you do that, but it, you, you know what I mean? Just to show that things that are rare today could become so common that, that they well, become mundane. Does, right? Automobiles. Like, think about like, <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's true. I could be the fourth. <laughs> that's the future, scene. Everyone's getting. Well, this, this goes back. This goes back to Orville. You know, Boston through <laughs> <Okay>. the. Okay. <laughs> if you wanted to, Gary. <laughs> Josh, so is your thought then that maybe we don't do something like a space launch that we come up with something else, or we do it but we have it as uh, inconsequential? No, I would do it and have them just be slightly annoyed by it. In, uh, somewhere oh, on the spectrum between, inco- between inconsequential and just like uh, slightly annoyed. Not like 
not that would actually cast some any you know negative view of space travel or anything. Just just to show that to them it's nothing. So maybe we have like one person enthusiastic about it, and then everybody else you know indifferent or annoyed by it. Maybe so, the youngest person's enthusiastic because they still have that childlike wonder, and everyone else is just maybe, yeah, like they change the channel like right before it takes off, like they're doing right. a countdown. It, Jimmy wants I mean, to watch it, and then like Dad puts like weather channel back on. If you think back to Apollo thirteen, you know none of the news networks were even carrying that launch, and then mm-hmm. once they had the the explosion on board, they were like, oh, now yeah, that it's a potential tragedy, we're going to switch to it. So, and that was in the relatively like early NASCAR. days of space travel. So. It's like NASCAR. <laughs> That's a hell of a segue, Gary. Go ahead and go ahead and connect those dots for us. <laughs> if there was no crashes, nobody would watch NASCAR. And, and the quote hardcore ah. fans say they don't want crashes in it and all. The only reason why you watch it is for the crash. If not, why don't we just do 10 laps and that's it? Like, you really need to do that around 400 times. And yeah, that is, the other cars? That is what Gary refers to as the Neil Armstrong Dale Earnhardt conundrum. <laughs> They I mean, are compared. Like, if I was ever going to watch NASCAR highlights, what do they show? They're not going to show, like, some sweet pass on the outside. It's going to be some dude doing, like, misty flips in his car that, like, crashes <laughs> into the fence, and then he gets out after, you know, acts pissed towards the other guy, and then they'll show the finish line. Destruction Derby is <laughs> what people really want to see. Nobody wants us to watch some dude drive around in circles. Well, you say no one, yet there's a lot of people that do, so check your privilege. How, how do we get onto NASCAR? Because I don't know. Because <laughs> oh, we were talking about how how Apollo like, thirteen yeah. was the Daytona of space flight. <laughs> I think Apollo thirteen is actually a perfect way to explain uh, your point, Josh, about the and that was what. Uh, so that was 16, two launches. Uh, it was 70. two launches after we landed on the moon, yeah. and then that's no longer a cool. That's thing. old hat. <laughs> There's already a footprint there. Oh, I don't care. <laughs> yeah, it is weird how going to the moon's like old hat already. Yeah. And, like, nobody even cares about it. Now, I did see something recently. They're going to put, like, 4G on it. So, who's that for? They're putting 4, 4G internet. Do you want to move there? Well, that would be nice. For, no, dude, look it up. This is a real thing. So, Google right now. I, 4G on the moon. They're sending something there to put 4G internet on the moon. Meanwhile, my cell signal in my office is less than... <laughs> I don't know. Exactly. <laughs> Makes sense. How about you fix the roads in Boston? That will put, that will put high-speed internet on the map. I wanted a pothole today. Didn't come out the other side. <laughs> so we, I think we can have we can do a lot with this screen in the back. Uh, we can do a lot with voice activation. We mentioned it before the the Musion technology, which is basically the advancement of the Pepper's Ghost effect. Is that something that we could incorporate uh, again? As like, all right, this is how we look something up. Uh, What's the I would love. I would love to sing that's out right now. Where like Cortana? Uh, yeah. Oh, Hololens. That's yeah, Hololens. So obviously everybody would have to have lenses on to see that. But if you use the Spusion technology, uh, mm. then you could make. Did you just call it. You just called it Spusion technology, didn't you? <laughs> I said Spusion. Why would Spusion? Something you so, know. I think the glasses, to, using the Musion technology would allow you to do it without the glasses. Well, and imagine, but imagine somebody says Siri and then the bitch just fucking materializes. <laughs> now can you customize? Like, and then like, screws like, up your request. <laughs> so we have like a real life Siri up here. Right. Um, like, so, like Siri set the table and she just walks over and like just throws everything <laughs> on the floor. Her <laughs> hand would just go through everything, wouldn't it? Well. Of course, <laughs> HJ, you ever had. 
That's progress. <laughs> There's a few things here that could actually like make this work because so the the Musion technology for people that don't know what this is, this was like what they used over at Disaster. They use they use it in the um, uh, Harry Potter and Forbidden Journey queue where it's a reflection, but it's a clear reflection on glass, and it looks like. Uh, real life, there's a person in there, as Josh said before the show. It was the uh, the Tupac hologram, essentially. Um, but to do this, the light needs to be lower. So yeah. part of what happens in the scene very well could dictate that. So part of whatever malfunctions could kill the lights or lower the lights or something to that effect that would allow for this technology, this Tupac technology to be used. Just materialize. <laughs> <laughs> But I mean, like, if they're maybe they're trying to fix something or wall and put a wonderful world of color and like the lights go dark and this wall pops up. Yeah, what would be the futuristic equivalent of blowing a blowing a fuse? Like the fusion reactor ran out of tritium. No, they got cloudy out. You know, everything's solar solar panel. There you go. Uh, Clean coal. Yeah, clean coal. coal Yeah, I believe that is the future. (laughs) Sweet uh, clean coal. The the way that this is difficult to do. Or something that would be, you know, possibly the reason for not doing it is essentially you would need uh, glass to cover the entire sc- uh, the entire scene in order for this to work, in order yeah, for the reflection to be proper, and that likely eliminates this. Now, is this going to mess up my flash photography? Probably, but that's a good thing. Well, yeah, I, I also the other challenge with this, and I think we're sort of blue skying this, where we're going to. We're just going to leave technical challenges to the engineers to fix, but one that occurs to me is that um, it's a pretty near-field audience with this attraction. Yeah, you, know, you are very close to the stage, so it may be the case that that um, isn't as compelling as it is. Well, I'm typically those it pep- works. I mean, you're very close to that glass. You're no, you're no farther away than somebody sitting in the first row of Carousel Progress. It did work in the Disaster pre-show as well, but that was so dimly lit the entire time whereas this would be only dimly lit for a portion of time in order to pull it off. I wonder if you could even do something where as you progress through the the various scenes, the light goes down gradually with each one so that it wasn't quite as noticeable. Oh, yeah, maybe. Yeah. Maybe you could even do you know the first scene of the daytime, afternoon, evening, night. Um, I'm not sure. But there, I mean, this is what... This is this is really the beauty of the whole concept of a Imagineer, which is someone who's skilled both at being an artist and a, and an engineer who can understand how the you know storytelling process integrates with technology and can pull off these now, effects. So. Can you pull off right. another Christmas scene in this day and age, or does it have to be a holiday scene that has like a menorah, a Christmas tree, a Kwanzaa thing? And a- I think you can get away with a tree, but not even mention Christmas. I think they've done New Year's in the past. And that's, you know, like New Year's Eve is a yeah, relatively now safe bet. Now's the time, yeah, they did uh, New Year's because they went so, the magic. But you can still have, like, a Christmas tree on. And Christmas is still a thing, despite, yes. what, despite <laughs> what society might tell you. Well, so, I mean, I, I don't mean, really see a problem with that. Either way, especially because they do the Christmas, like, if Disney really had a problem with that, which is surprising considering what they did with the auction scene, then they wouldn't have the Christmas party anymore. It'd be like Mickey's holiday party. So you think that the amount of sensitivity it takes to remove Christmas is the same that with regard to selling people. <laughs> uh, it's whoever, uh, yeah, I guess. I mean, <laughs> I I think they're both overly sensitive yeah. in that particular case, but I think one is definitely See, worse. You look at that, the redhead in that scene. You think she she doesn't look too bothered by it. either does like the the chick who's been <laughs> off. Uh, the old she wanted it, Your Honor. <laughs> <defense>. <laughs> 
Hey, maybe we, we should probably. You know what? Let's let's shift to that. I think we uh, we're gonna have to spitball on the final scene of Carousel of Progress anyway. Yeah. Um. So that'll be another six months from now that we put that out there. But that scene in Pirates is changing, and I, I don't know. I mean, we didn't have the show to talk about it, but um, the timing of that was really kind of before uh, the whole Me Too movement started, and it was even before uh, Harvey Weinstein, uh, you know, kicked it off with such a maybe, flourish. Maybe they knew. Actually, um, Tim, I'm going to correct you. It's called the Pound Me Too movement. <laughs> I, don't, I don't believe that's correct. <laughs> uh, well, it way, if it mean if you read it out loud, that's what it is. Yeah, so, like, too, pound me too. their their timing was was pretty good on it. Um, but I, my my consensus was, yeah, I get it, but I don't have to be happy about it. I don't know where you guys. No, it's what it's it. what you call pandering, and they shouldn't have yeah. done it. One person had to complain about that. And well, I mean, that's the problem is that was the Simpsons joke. It was yeah. due to massive complaints by one people. Yep. <laughs> yeah, there's no, there's nothing. It's also Mitch Hedberg. In this, <laughs> I mean, in this day and age, everything in that park is going to be offensive to at least someone. So, it, the problem when you start reacting to some of it is that now the people who are offended by something that they don't remove are going to see Disney as taking a viewpoint specific stand on it. And I think that could ultimately put them in a bad position. I mean, the, you know, the road to hell is paved with good intentions. And while I don't think that Disney really intended to do anything other than to remove a somewhat controversial scene, it's uh, funny. <laughs> you know, I, I'm just not sure that the long-term payoff for them is going to be what they expect. Yeah, we shall sure see. I wrote something about this uh, last July when they announced it. Um, it's it's an iconic scene, and that in itself is why it's uh, it's rough. I mean, the scene has already debuted in Paris, but we don't know what the dialogue is because I don't speak French and how word for word it translated. Um, the the characters are basically all there, just in different dress, um, and the rope isn't around them. But uh, it's a it, it's a situation with wh- where. I understand that selling women is bad. I, I, I get that that concept, what but about it's being but, a pirate, though. I was going to say, you know what else? <laughs> but is bad exactly, being a pirate. I mean, <laughs> these aren't these aren't exactly role models here. What about the guy right. given? You know, how come Peter hasn't chimed in? That well, old Bill's trying to get the cat drunk. You know, how long until they remove that scene? That's so, offensive towards like people who like cats. Josh, I love cats. Yeah, the you issue try to give your slicker. No. Well, you should Mr. Pickles. Mr. Pickles stole my steak once. <laughs> the dull thing. Asshole. Ran right across the kitchen with it in his mouth. <laughs> well, how did you chew it? It doesn't have any teeth. No, I got it back from him. I, I ate it. <laughs> Do you run into the water first or no? Nah. <laughs> Pre-cheat. You should, you should <laughs> let him like do that to tenderize your meat a little, like when I'm chewing on it, and then take it back and cut it. <laughs> oh, so gross. <laughs> Apparently, his two favorite flavors are uh, T-bone and his own butthole. <laughs> <laughs> I can see that. <laughs> um, so th- there's a uh, like uh, there's a belief that Disney parks are are supposed to be a safe family space, and that's where the objection to this comes. And to many people, the park should be free from any real controversy. Uh, everything should be G-rated. But if that's the case, w- what are you accomplishing there? It's it's how do you it's, go back in time? How do you, how do you go back to history? Yeah, yeah. Uh, history is full of conflict and stuff like that. That's what makes it history. Like. Well, I mean, the Unabomber would have hated Future World because he was a Luddite who hated technology. There are people that hate America. There's you got Hall of Presidents. You've got the American Adventure. There are people that hate the Axis powers that fought in World War II who go there. I mean, there's 
it's great on paper to say this is a safe place where everybody can be happy. Well, also, the problem the is that the access countries too. I mean, you're gonna you're gonna put Italy, Germany on one side of America and Japan on the other side. I yep, mean, it sounds like some the, um, stuff to me. The Illuminations <laughs> is basically Pearl Harbor. <laughs> Illuminations, uh, Illuminati. Is there a connection? You just don't uh, know. You tell me. <laughs> you know, there's a secret underground base underneath the land, right? Yeah, I've heard about that. I'm just waiting, <laughs> waiting for you guys to be done. It's not as, nice. as as we look at things like what is appropriate, what isn't appropriate, that seems to be very fluid, highly subjective. And Disney has made references to criminal activities in their family attractions for decades. And what seems acceptable is largely arbitrary. Where like a murderous bride in the haunted mansion is fine, but pirates objectifying women isn't. What? So it's it's what is the the point of the public narrative today, what do we change accordingly? And we've done this before with Pirates of the Caribbean. And right. really it just comes down to uh, pirates can can kill each other, pirates can uh, insult each other, and that's fine, but they can't insult anybody else. So the suggestion that I had um, when this came out was, in addition to height requirements on rides, is put on like a parental guidance thing to just say this yeah, like, is if you're this something hurts, you can... Right. Like, this is the... Pussy hurt index right here. This one's at about a seven. What they ought to do? Here's what they do. I've got the solution to the problem. You, you, my Magic Plus version 2.0 includes a survey before you book, and it's just a series of questions. And it says, on a scale of one to five, how are you offended by this, by that, by the other thing? And then it plots out your trip to take you only to the attractions that won't offend you. <laughs> and meanwhile, scallywags no, like us can go on don't... the original. Attractions with the breadhead getting sold. We can have the slavery pavilion, whatever, whatever we deem fit. No holds barred. Uh, what I what I did in the, in the article that I wrote last July was that basically I kind of called Disney. This was a line of BS. It's it's catering to um uh, to the to the dumbed down approach to things. But what they still do is they still sell shirts depicting the redhead. They still do that. So why not actually do something more meaningful where you right. make contributions to, uh, you know, a, a charitable organization that empowers survivors of sexual assault and domestic violence? Like why? The one thing that society needs to wrap its fragile brain around is the fact that being offended is not the same as being harmed. Mm -hmm. And there are bad things that have happened in history. And if a scene and a ride can create a discussion about it, that, that's not a bad thing. You don't eliminate the atrocities that have taken place in mankind by eliminating any historical reference to them. I don't think that that ride celebrated, you know, the celebrate. I mean, yeah, it was whimsical, but it, yeah, it wasn't but they end like, up in jail at the end, thing. so they're punished. Yeah. So there's justice. Yeah, there you go. There you go. So, and some I mean, of them are probably going to die because the jail's on fire. <laughs> Double justice. <laughs> yeah. uh, but I mean, the the question though there is. All right. Yes, it, it's it's kind of, and we're getting a little bit deeper here for a Disney podcast. And I've already uh, acknowledged that your focus collectively is not exactly uh, here an hour and a half into it. But um, it's it's like all right, a, a Confederate monument. Yes, we want to acknowledge the mistakes of uh, of history, but where is it appropriate to have them? You know what I mean? So that's that's the counter argument to this. Like, yes, there was atrocities committed by pirates. But is that something that needs to be depicted in a theme park? You know, that sort of thing. And that's, right. that is the counter-argument. But at mm, the same time, we understand 
the comics. Isn't it, isn't it worse, if you're going to have an attraction about pirates, to paint them in a light that suggests that they were heroes rather than villains? Yeah. No, I'm with you. You know, I, I, it's not a. I don't know. I just think. Well, aren't villains it, usually always the heroes? Like everybody wants to be a gangster. Everybody wants to be a pirate. Well, I just think that Disney does its best work when they focus primarily on telling great, compelling stories and not on trying not to step on anybody's toes. Now, tell me more about Mary Poppins in the UK. So this is at this point we can just call it rumor, uh, and I'd say blue sky at that. But mm-hmm. um, with Epcot currently getting a significant investment in it uh a, a handful of different people uh from from martin to uh, to jim hill to a couple of other people on ww magic are suggesting a small dark ride going into um the united kingdom pavilion and so there's some space uh between and I, I think it would go to the left of the current pavilion but i'm not positive uh so that like think you know uh I was uh, Winnie, the, Winnie the Pooh level, um, not not you know Pooh's Honey Hunt or anything like that, but like a, a sea ticket, you know, bus bar type dark ride uh, around Mary Poppins is what the rumor is right now. But I think from a um, greater question is like, does does Mary Poppins fit into Epcot, or would would Mary Poppins be more appropriate in Fantasyland, or does Mary Poppins not fit in Fantasyland either? What I, mean, I don't know where you guys think that that putting. Putting Mary Poppins in the UK pavilion is far less out of place than the majority of what they've discussed doing to Epcot, in my opinion. So, I, And again, the other thing that is always going to make any sort of change more palatable to me is if it's a, an addition rather than a replacement. Yeah, that's yeah, what I was going to say. Like, like when I took Mouse from away for Norway, that sucked. Or for Afros, and that sucked. But if they just add this on the pavilion... Yeah, I don't really have much of a problem with it. I mean, if they put it in the back or something like that, I mean, it's not hurting anything. It's going to drive more traffic to the UK pavilion, so they might want to like maybe make yeah. uh, the the bar a little bit bigger there. But uh, I mean, I don't see it being a big deal if I can walk through the down that first the street there in the UK and it looks exactly the same. Then I don't see what the big deal is, except that it's going to be a clusterfuck of people. Like you can't walk into the Norway pavilion anymore. It's just lines and mobs of people everywhere um so that kind of sucks but it'll even it out eventually yeah is I'm, the relevance of mary poppins in the uk pavilion just setting or is there something in there like is there a treatment that has her being culturally significant other than just having a british accent i think uh, just a british accent but i, I mean think something isn't the movie film like isn't the movie set in london it is. It is. So, I mean, like, and she's think of the guard all the time. Think of the machinations that Imagineering went through to explain while the summer house is there and while Frozen is there, and it's it's ridiculous because you know who who hears that backstory? Idiots like us who have Disney podcasts. <laughs> you know, the typical guest doesn't hear that explanation. They just see it and it's out of place. Whereas I think that if you would didn't even know what Mary Poppins was, didn't even necessarily understand the original vision for Epcot. If you walked into the UK Pavilion and you saw some Mary Poppins-themed attraction, I don't think it would strike you as being out of place. No. So that's there, there's got to be an organic connection there. It can't be this bullshit story that Imagineering tells to uh, Disney pundits that yeah. normal guests never even hear. See, like, well, those put... things are how you explain it, though. I mean, that, that explains why it goes there. And I think we discussed this where... Royal Summer, who's all right. You kind of buy that princesses would visit a neighboring Scandinavian country. That adds up. But then they didn't make any effort on Frozen Ever After. And I know we're kind of beating a dead horse here, but 
uh, with Mary Poppins, um, there's a Tony Baxter explanation that we've talked about on the show of like what Epcot's supposed to be, and it's where the real becomes fantastic. Mary Poppins as a movie is the epitome of that. It's it's taking something that's real life and turning it into a fantasy world. Um, but the uh, the makeover of Epcot has kind of reversed that as well, and rolling in Magic Kingdom concepts of taking fantasy and making them real uh, reality See, as well. I don't believe that the original vision for Epcot was the real becoming fantasy. I believe that the Epcot, the Epcot's original vision was that what's real is fantastic. Not that it yeah. was transforming from reality to fiction, but what technology and, I mean, if you think about the two concepts of future world and world showcase, it's no coincidence that the last word of future world is world and the first world word of world showcase is world because it, it was essentially two ways to show how we get to the future. One is through... Uh, you know, having benevolent, magnanimous countries who are at peace with each other. That's the world showcase part that you could. And the other part is technology advancing mankind or humankind, if you want to be politically mm -hmm. correct. You know, there, was a, there was a fair that came to New York around 1964-65 that also had the same exact theme. And their motto was peace through understanding. And that's, that was the whole, they were showcasing technology of tomorrow. Well, at the same time, having a showcase of, uh, the, I think they had like 40-something countries or something like that represented. But for me, that's what I like about Epcot is because it's like a World's Fair. But like the more they're cramming like characters and crap in there, it feels less like a World's Fair. Now, well, what, what is the message? That if you want to have a bright future, it has to be animated or it has to be fiction it be because it can't email. be real? I mean, I mean, it's completely ripping the rug out of, out of what the heart and soul of Epcot was. And I don't care what T-Bax says Epcot stands for. <laughs> Uh, that is not what Walt wanted, and all you have to do is well, no, you I don't mean, take is, my word for it. Th this isn't the the Epcot of what Walt wanted. It's the Epcot of what uh, the, the 1982 Epcot Center. Um, but I, th I think your point of yeah, so what, what Card and uh, what Marty wanted uh, our podcast namesake. But, but um, un unlike most people, I think Walt would not have been terribly disappointed with what was actually built because I think Walt, to some degree, was a pragmatist. Mm -hmm. um, but I think Walt would have seen it as a step towards something else. Yeah, and what it, what, what it became was a detour before they circled back to what they're comfortable with, which is fantasy. Yeah, so with, with that, though, th I, I want to go back to what you said, where they're taking, they're taking reality and making you amazed by reality. And that's when I say the real becomes fantasy, I, I mean th that the it seems like it's a fantasy, but isn't. But, isn't. but Epcot has kind of blurred that line where there's not really any anything grounded in reality other than a human being or a, a characterization of a human being and like journey to imagination um, right. uh, uh, cranium command kind of again took that but really uh, sidestepped it a little bit so I think when you look at how you put a character into Epcot you have to separate that character from the movie that it's in pretend the movie doesn't exist and would that character also fit in, into Epcot so if you've got a ride that features a British nanny just kind of taking you through the countryside mm -hmm. uh, does that does that work does that I, I think it does and I think I'm surprised Mary Poppins hasn't had an attraction yet just considered all the gags that are in the movie that would lend themselves mm -hmm. to a ride and when you mix the well, animation of it it's like two different styles of ride you can go through Plus, there was that movie that came out a couple of years ago. 
Yeah, saving Mr. Banks, and I would yeah. want this if, the, if this attraction does have. There's a new one coming out, you know. Yeah, well, that's what I was about to say. I would want it based on the 64. I want the hot Jewel. I mean, they're both hot, but I mean, that's not <laughs> shit. Julie Andrews is just a hotter one. Um, but that's the I one suspect I'd want it based off. Like so many of these things, it's contingent on the success of the new movie yeah, as opposed to the success too. of the old. Well, just um, like the Spain Pavilion and the Beanstalk movie. What's going on with that? Yeah. Still doing it. Doesn't sound like it, but. Um, th- this is just kind of the latest one this week, and uh, we had the, uh, the the Black Panther success as a possibility. Where yeah, I was going to ask you, what's going on now that they've moved the Festival Center out of Wonders of Life and over to uh, the Odyssey? Is there any rumors of what's going on at Wonders of Life? So this is, again, the, the only source of this is Jim Hill. Uh, and I, I'm friendly with Jim, uh, and he pointedly said that as of right now, uh, Disney doesn't have the theme park rights to use Black Panther. And they've had other successful movies in the Avengers lineup, and they haven't pushed for them more than anything else. But what was interesting, and he never outwardly said this, but uh, Josh, I can send you the contract and you can uh, yeah. thoroughly in your spare time. Yeah. Um, it's the, the contract is about character usage. And the interesting thing about... Uh, Black Panther beyond the characters because there are some great characters in it is that as far as I'm concerned they could build Wakanda the setting of it they could use every character in that movie except Black Panther without issue and if they were to build Wakanda which is a haven for technological advancements uh, people kind of you know scoff at putting that in Epcot but it's a place where you have advancements in technology advancements in transportation medicine agriculture and that that in itself, you take the movie out of it, that kind of fits Epcot. I mean, would they would uh, actually like, but they couldn't go they couldn't into those technologies, or they just simply showcase them in like a room, uh, just as a set piece. I, I, there's no real detail as to what they're actually doing, but you're just taking taking the movie and what you could use in the movie, stripping it out for something that would contextually fit into Epcot. The uh, uh, the country of Wakanda is essentially you know centuries ahead of everywhere else in the world from a technology standpoint so uh if you want to showcase the future of medicine the future of transportation you could do that in this context um and that in itself if if wakanda was a made-up place that they put in the original epcot and black panther didn't exist then that in itself in theory works but i think uh, somebody's idea of the stark expo kind of better than that then again i didn't see no, I, I, I'm with you, and I think those are where they're looking at it. Uh, if I was a betting man, uh, and my podcast in Ohana Bets uh, would indicate that I am, I'd say that Disney has decided internally that to the extent that they can use Marvel properties, they are going to go in Epcot. And, it sure seems that way. And I don't. I think most people were like, that doesn't seem right. They could put them in Tomorrowland, or they could put them in Hollywood Studios, but no, Disney has decided Future World. They're trying to load balance the parks, though. Yeah, I mean, that's exactly. the thing is they have a surplus of guests at one park and they have, you know, if you were to look at revenue per square foot, Epcot is a under revenue generating park. I don't know. So, all the festivals and everything. Like you pay 102 bucks to get in, you pay $20 to park and then they get you for at least $100 walking around World Showcase. But it's it's, 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 well, maybe it seems to me it'd be the highest revenue park. It isn't, and, and all the alcohol and all that stuff. Like the, it just—it doesn't get crowds. It's—it's it's propped up by these festivals. It doesn't have 
natural crowds, if that makes sense. But they're paying nine dollars for a little piece of fish. That's got to be making them something. But there's another part to, to uh, that I didn't really explain very well, which is that I think not only do they want to generate more revenue at Epcot, they also want it to give some pressure relief to the Magic Kingdom, yeah, which is why true. it's why you want to put uh, well, you know rides that, rides that would appeal to you know your princesses and your little princes to get them out of Magic Kingdom because quite frankly that place is bursting at the seams all the time. What about when Star Wars land opens? Though, you think that's how much pressure you think that's going to take off the Magic Kingdom? I don't know. I don't. I don't know what. The, if you were to do a Venn diagram of the people who are hardcore, you know, Fantasyland fans and people who are into Star Wars, I don't know how much overlap there is. There, there's probably a lot, but I think there's probably also a significant number of people where it's sort of mutually exclusive. Look, I mean, look at Avatar right now. It's still anytime you walk in there, and it's been open since May, almost a year, and it still has like five arrowheads for the attractions, and the land is always mobbed with people, and that's just Avatar. Is the land like really like the land? Never really felt you know shoulder Maybe to shoulder. Maybe because the pathways are laid out or something. I don't know. I, well, mean, I mean, what's the capacity on these two rides though? I mean, I don't think the throughput there is. They're minute. They're. Yeah, I mean, that's the problem. It's the lowest capacity you take it in the world. But this yeah, is there so, you go. I mean, <laughs> what screwed up the six pre? By about twenty percent. Yeah, that's that's a problem. <laughs> it's not the pre-shows. It's no, the it's actual the facility it's itself. It takes so long to load it, and they it's the the ride video. Um, Anybody that's listened to me on other podcasts, I go through these same rants, so it's kind of monotonous. But the the um, the the video itself for Flight of Passage is the same length as the one for Soren. Yet in Soren, you're sitting down and putting a seatbelt on. Almost everybody that's going in there understands that concept and can sit on their butt and put a seatbelt on. They've done that before. They did that to get to the park that day. So having to get on a motorcycle and scoot your uh, yourself forward and uh, get ready for the leg restraints and the back brace, that's that's new to people, and it takes longer, and they didn't account for that. Do so, you think that's going to be a big issue on Tron, too? Uh, it will, because Tron is also relatively slow loading, and I think the biggest problem that Tron has... On it. Yeah, you know. <laughs> I mean, let's be honest here. They're loading, like, tiny Asians They're smaller. on it. They're smaller. Um, so unless the seats are going to be like way bigger, uh, those I, trains aren't long either. I mean, they're it's I, I want to say there's there's six or seven cars and it's you know double seating. Uh, I believe it's dual load and dual unload, but you need to launch a, a train you know every thirty to forty five seconds. The ride itself is less than seventy five seconds. Um, now the Fat Man, have you cars in the back? Is that going to be on every train? I imagine Walt Disney World. I don't know in the back everyone. Just why? Know. Why wouldn't they? Just because the body type, size, and stuff. So imagine waiting like five hours for that thing just to realize that you, you don't fit on the thing. Josh's point about trying to pull people away from the Magic Kingdom is a good one, though, because so often when you add something new to one of the other parks, it improves that park uh, attendance-wise and the Magic Kingdom. It just means that more people are going to the Magic Kingdom because they're also going to see Avatar. They're also going over to see Star Wars. So what I think the Magic Kingdom should be doing, and I, I don't object to Tron going there, you know, thematically it's fine, uh, and it looks like a really cool attraction, but it's probably something that they they need less appealing attractions. They, they need more mermaids, basically. They need more it's attractions nice. like that, that, you know... They need don't. attractions that people can meander into and be yeah. entertained for 15 minutes, be pulled off pathways, and then spit exactly. back out to go do it again. Yeah. I mean, 
Mermaid right now, I think the first summer that it was open, it was probably getting hour waits. It'll get that on some days, but it's so... You've seen the reserve at 10, 20 minutes now. Yeah. Yeah. And even if it says 20, you can walk right on the thing anyway. Based on the length of that queue, they misjudged oh, what the <laughs> what the uh, you know long term no, demand was going to be. I think the capacity on it's just really high. I mean, I think it is. But that's what pirates used to be too. Like pirates used to have a really long before Fast Pass Plus. Pirates used to have a really long queue that you would walk through and kind of build up the uh, the theme of it. There's nothing wrong with that. Um, it's, no, it's great. It's kind of, it's... It oversells the attraction though when you get inside. In, in the case of Mermaid, but I mean, I like Mermaid for what it is. It's a you know like. A probably low-end D-ticket, high-end C-ticket attraction. I think the scope puts it in D-ticket level, but it's kind of an underwhelming one. Um, but the build-up is an E-ticket build-up based on that queue. Yep. Uh, what we're looking at for the next show is to uh, will hammer down a future scene and probably do something similar where we have uh, uh, the same voice actors and actresses kind of do that for us. And... Uh, we're, we're interested in uh, opinions of people that are listening to this as well, if they have suggestions for how we can integrate uh, yet-to-be-invented technology into that scene. Um, and then we'll probably introduce a new topic after that uh, that part of episode three. Yeah, I think we should do Wakanda after. You want to do Wakanda? No, I don't. <laughs> yeah, hold on, Wakanda. Uh, well, Wakanda in Africa at Animal Kingdom instead of Epcot. Same yeah, I hate that. <laughs> yeah, you hate it because you like it like we like Epcot. That's why. <laughs> well, Epcot used to be my favorite park. And, and then, then Africa came along. That, then the Animal Kingdom came along. That's exactly right. And that's about when Epcot went to shit. Because yeah, that's true. Uh, you're talking late 90s. Did Epcot, you just refer to Africa as the Animal Kingdom? Yeah, it's fucked up. <laughs> well, when the Animal Kingdom opened, it was pretty much Africa and Discovery Island and Dino Land. So, yeah. But, uh, no, when, when the Animal Kingdom opened, that's pretty much... Uh, been the slow and painful death of Epcot as we knew it. Uh, so you blame Animal Kingdom? Epcot hasn't recovered from Animal Kingdom's opening. They haven't passed the 1997 attendance yet. 1998, wasn't it? Uh, Animal Kingdom opened in 98, so that was the first full year, and Epcot hasn't recovered yet. And that was, if, if, that was minus four months, too. Yep. So. Really? I feel like... go to Animal Kingdom and Epcot? I think no, 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 no. You're not understanding what I'm saying. Is that Epcot's attendance actually peaked in '87, according to Martin? Uh, but in 1997, uh, that attendance level, I think, has it probably was was reached in 2017, but it it really had it really hadn't survived the opening of the Animal Kingdom, the uh, cannibalism that took uh, guests away from the other parks when Animal Kingdom opened. Epcot was hurt the most by that. So another reason why I don't like Animal Kingdom. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's going to do it for this episode of Marty Called. Uh, be sure to check out virtualdisneyworld.net, www.themeparks.com, utilidors with two O's.com, uh, <laughs> progresscitybrewing.com. Yeah. Join our conversation, facebook.com slash groups slash Marty Called. Yeah, hop on uh, Facebook. And if you have ideas, throw them in the, you know, when we post the show, throw them in the comments. You can also email us at martycalled at gmail.com. Or joke faxes. Well, until next time. Good night. Have a good night, everybody.
a great big beautiful tomorrow Shining at the end of every day There's a great big beautiful tomorrow And tomorrow is just a dream away Man has a dream and that's the start He follows his dream with mind and heart And when it becomes a reality, it's a dream come true for you and me. So there's a great big beautiful tomorrow, shining at the end of every day. There's a great big beautiful tomorrow, just a dream away. Yeah, it looks like the Robins are getting ready to celebrate Valentine's Day today. We've come a long way, though, since the turn of the century just a decade or so ago. Believe me, things couldn't be any better than they are today. Yes, sir, buildings are towering now higher than 20 stories. And Edison Studios puts out moving pictures up on a big screen. You know, we have almost half a million automobiles in this country. And we can travel by train from New York to California in less than five days. And speaking of Edison, our house is starting to fill up with new electrical servants. Mr. Edison sure added life to our home. Whoa there, you poor fuse! Drat! That's the third one this week. I buy fuses by the case. Uh-oh. I've blown the whole neighborhood again. He did it again! Go over and give that neighbor of ours what for! Easy, Rover. Jimmy, hurry up with those fuses. Shucks. Every time he has company, he blows a fuse. And guess who always has to change it? I heard that, young man. I heard that. The lights come back on. Sarah and a young girl appear behind left scrim. Every time you do that, I'm glad I still have the gas lamp in the laundry room. We'll update that soon enough. But we do have this new wash day marvel. Now it takes me only five hours to do the wash. Imagine, it used to take two days. Oh, that's right, folks. Now Sarah has time for other things, like... Like canning and cleaning the oven. Yes, dear. Well, ovens just don't clean themselves, you know, dear. I know, dear. (laughs) And they probably never will. Now, if you'll excuse me, I've got to get the laundry off the line before it starts raining cats and dogs. Ah, don't worry, Rover. She didn't mean real dogs. Besides, it's not going to rain today. My lumbago isn't acting up. Blackout on left diorama. I hate to say I told you so. Oh, look at it come down. All you have to do is put your wash on the line, right? Oh, well. The cistern was low anyway. Jimmy appears behind right scrim, looking at stereoscope. Wow-wee! Look at that! Now, James, I thought I told you to ask my permission before using my new stereoscope. That's not a toy, you know. Ooh-la-la! So that's little Egypt doing the hoochie-coochie. Hey, Dad? Isn't she a knockout? She's the star of the new, uh... (coughs) Uh, Jimmy, why don't you put that away and help your mother and the neighbor girl house with the laundry? Aw, Dad! You heard me. Blackout on right diorama. Well, we have one of those new talking machines, too. Now, that is something. It plays music right here in our home. 
Lights up on left diorama, where Grandma sits listening to phonograph with her parrot. There's a great, big, beautiful tomorrow. She keeps that thing going all day long. Lights out on left diorama as they come up on right diorama, where Patricia is sitting, half-dressed. Oh, Papa? Yes, Patricia? Papa? All these people! I'm... I'm indecent! (laughs) Don't worry, Patricia. They're friends. That's our teenage daughter. She's getting ready to go to a Valentine's dance across town on one of those new horseless trolleys. I think it's very romantic you're taking Mother out for Valentine's dinner this evening. Well, you know what kind of sport I am. I only hope I have an evening as romantic. Now you be home by 9 o'clock, daughter. You hear me? Lights out on left diorama. Well, with all this talking, I've worked up quite a thirst. I think I'll take one of those newfangled trolleys down to the drugstore soda fountain and meet the boys for a cold sarsaparilla. Oh, (laughs) I forgot. We're drinking root beer now. Same kind of thing, just different name. Well, that's progress for you. And, uh, speaking of progress... There's a great, big, beautiful tomorrow Shining at the end of every day There's a great, big, beautiful tomorrow And tomorrow is just a dream away Man has a dream, and that's the start He follows his dream with mind and heart And when it becomes a reality It's a dream come true for you and me So there's a great, big, beautiful tomorrow Shining at the end of every day There's a great, big, beautiful tomorrow Just a dream away Act 3 is set during Thanksgiving in the 1980s. The year is not outwardly stated, but references point to mid to late 80s. The kitchen set features a typical 80s kitchen with Formica countertops and pea green appliances. A dustbuster hangs from the wall. Colorful fall leaves appear on the trees outside the window. We're getting ready for Thanksgiving here in the 1980s, and things can't get any better than they are today. There's a new supersonic airliner that can get us from New York to London in only three and a half hours. Here at home, our TV gets over 50 channels. And thanks to the VCR, we can watch our favorite movies whenever we want. But that's not all. We've entered the world of video games. Lights come up on right diorama, which shows Grandma and Jimmy playing a video game. A large box TV shows animation from Mike Tyson's Punch-Out. Grandma has a life alert necklace around her neck. The outlet for the lamp is visible and it's plugged into the clapper. A VHS rewinder is sitting on top of the TV. And a Nintendo is sitting next to it on top of the VCR. Alright, Grandma. You want to dodge his punches and hit back when he gives you an opening. Well, I'll give it a try. The match is about to start. Get ready. Here goes nothing. Here he comes. Now dodge him. Whoa. Now hit him back! Take that, you nincompoop! Lights out on right diorama. Speaking of modern distractions, we have cellular telephones now. Of course, ours is often occupied by our perennial house guest, Uncle Orville. Lights up on left diorama. Orville is in a bathtub holding up a clunky 80s cell phone. Orville's hair is half feathered and half mullet. 
Uncle Orville insists on using the cellular telephone instead of the house phone. Here's hoping he's calling someone about getting a job. No privacy, it's all around this place. Sorry, Orville. Lights out on left diorama. Cellular phones aren't the only things we're putting up to our ears. Our daughter Patricia loves listening to her portable cassette player. They call it a Walkman. Lights up on right side diorama. Patricia is lying on her bed wearing leg warmers. She has big 80s hair. She has a Wham poster above her head and a Chia Pet on her shelf. Patricia, what exactly are you listening to? I guess she can't hear me. Patty, what are you listening to? We are here to change the world. Of course, this also means our children don't always listen to us. I think children ignoring their parents has gone on for decades. Lights out on right side diorama. All this new technology has certainly changed our lives, and Sarah has jumped in with both feet into the world of personal computing. Lights up on left side diorama. Sarah is sitting at an Apple II computer with a large printer next to it on the desk. She has a pile of bills and old ledger books open next to her as well. John, I'm almost done entering all of our finances into VisiCalc. Well, that's great, Sarah. But, uh, what's VisiCalc? VisiCalc lets me take these old ledger books and put them... I can't hear you! Sarah? So now we can afford... Sarah? And we can see the Sears Tower. Are we going to Chicago? And Michael Jordan. So, what do you think? I'm not sure what to think. Lights out on left side diorama. I'll uh, catch up with Sarah later, but now I'm going to head over to the supermarket and pick up a bottle of Coca-Cola. Oh, that's right. We're drinking new Coke now. Well, I guess that's progress. And speaking of progress... There's a great big beautiful tomorrow Shining at the end of every day There's a great big beautiful tomorrow And tomorrow's just a dream away Man has a dream, and that's the start. He follows his dream with mind and heart. And when it becomes a reality, it's a dream come true for you and me. So there's a great big beautiful tomorrow shining at the end of every day. There's a great big beautiful tomorrow just a dream away.